Father, what a glorious and humbling thought that we don't belong to this world. We don't even belong to ourselves. We belong to you. And that means we should love you and seek to know you better and trust you when it's hard to do so and seek always your will above our own. And in difficult times, be reminded that you're our, our father and our advocate our friend, our king, so many ways you've given us, Lord, to describe yourself, to make yourself known. Help this message from this heart-wrenching little piece of Scripture reach our hearts that we may know you and love you as people who belong to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Good morning. Do any of you have friends who one-up you? I'm talking about story time. You tell something that happened to you. And they, the worst among them say, that's nothing. <laughs> and then they tell you their story. But most people aren't that crass. They just patiently smile and wait for you to be done with your story. And then they smile with satisfaction and launch into something that you know just from the smile itself is going to be so much better, or depending on the nature of the story, so much worse than anything you've ever shared with them. Does anybody else have friends like that? Holidays tend to bring us together with people like that, including those we've labored to avoid all year round. But here comes the uncle, here comes the cousin. Here he is with his collection of stories. I had a friend like that. We were in college together, and we noticed over a period of time that whatever anybody talked about, he had always suffered more or done it better. And then once it dawned on this little collection of friends what this was, which candidly had to be lies, they started making stuff up that was preposterous on its face, knowing that whatever was inside him would be activated eventually, and he would say that, well, before it was over, he was defying the laws of physics. I mean, it was <laughs> absolutely incredible, the sorts of stories we were told. There's something unique inside human character, fallen, broken human character that takes our God-given uniqueness and makes us feel so special that nobody has ever had it quite like we do. Whether it's success or joy or perhaps even more likely pain, trouble, or pressure, that our experiences are utterly unique. That's why in a letter dedicated to comforting suffering Christians, Peter says, you shouldn't be surprised at what's happening to you. These same kinds of sufferings are being accomplished in your brothers all around the world. And that's the topic of 2 Corinthians in the entire letter. And before we turn our attention fully to Christ in Christmas, I want you to look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 so that you can hear something that is so countercultural at this point it has become almost impossible for people to believe is possible i want to talk to you about praising god when the pressure's on 
Anybody here under any kind of pressure? Did you hear the laughter? That'll happen in three services today because the question itself is silly. Of course you're under pressure. What kind? Well, it varies. Some of you are under great financial pressure. Many of us are under relational pressure. You might be in some kind of legal predicament. You might find some health trouble. Either way, life is filled with pressure, trial, trouble, tribulation. That's the word that Paul had in mind when he starts his second letter to this troubled and troubling church. Perhaps no church had broken Paul's heart like the Corinthians had. His preaching had put the church literally into existence. He had preached Christ, they had believed, and he put in, he says in the first letter, their foundation. Other people had built upon that good work, but Paul started the Corinthian church through preaching Christ to them. And now, in the second letter, one of the big reasons that Paul wrote it is to defend his credentials. Because people who wouldn't know who Jesus actually is have been listening to Paul's detractors and enemies, and they, are, they apparently are being convinced or persuaded that Paul's a phony, that all the trouble and the pressure and the trials and the pain that Paul is going through is actually an indication that he doesn't know Jesus at all. And that little bit of ugliness runs right through the human heart. There is something in all of us when we see people suffer that makes us initially wonder, wonder what they did. Must have been bad. God's really taken them behind the woodshed. Oh boy, I hope they, hope they get humble soon. Thank God I'm nothing like that. You ever been part of those conversations? Ever discovered that in your own thinking? Well, Paul is under all kinds of trials and pressures. I'll show you his suffering credentials in a moment. And the most natural thing when the pressure's on is for us to want it to be over. When would you like those troubles that you brought in with you to be done? Hopefully before the end of this sermon, right? You'll get a text message that says, all is forgiven, I'm so sorry, it's all been paid, everything's good, you were right all along, the rest of us are a pack of fools, please forgive us, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Wouldn't that be great? Probably won't happen. Better we learn what Paul has to share with us because the most surprising thing is that while Paul's going to tell you about all of his troubles the very beginning of the letter, once he greets them, as is customary in a biblical epistle, where the greeting comes first, it's like an email. This letter is from and this letter is to this group of people. Paul says, blessed be God. Other translation says, praise be to God. In other words, even though Paul is under tremendous pressure and pressure and pain and disappointment from the very people he's writing from, he starts with the word of praise. Looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll see what I mean. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that is a word of praise. That's why other translations use the word praise instead of blessed. Same idea, just a different choice by the English translators. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to who God is to those who trust Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all, what's it say? The God of all comfort. I am so glad that that phrase is in the Bible. God, who is being addressed in Paul's word of praise and prayer, he says, I know him as in two very specific and comforting ways. He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. In other words, all mercy finds its origin in Him. He's not just in charge of people. He's not just in charge of justice. He's also in charge of mercy. And He is not only the Father of mercies, He is the God of all comfort. And every word in the Bible matters. And I am so glad that it says the God of all comfort lest I think that my troubles are so unique and so special that there's no comfort for them. And people often feel that way when the pressure is very, very severe. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Did you see that? The nature, the character, the activity of God all points in one direction toward His children. He is the one who, Paul says, comforts us in how many of our trials, pressures, troubles? All of them. That word affliction literally in Greek means pressure because that's how Paul lived. I'll show it to you in a minute. At this stage in his ministry career, Paul went to bed and woke up Every morning, I'm convinced, with severe physical pain. Paul had been beaten and imprisoned and tortured and left for dead so many times that there's absolutely no way, especially in the first century, that Paul was anything better than a pitiful physical wreck. It's very likely that he was nearly blind. His hands and his Forearms would have been covered by defensive wounds when they stoned him and left him under a pile of rocks for dead. His back would have been a crisscrossed mass of scars from the many times he was beaten. He would have scars and scar tissue inside his body and outside of his body if Paul were here preaching instead of me, and that would be absolutely spectacular for all of us. It is likely that we would let him sit here on the floor rather than force him to walk up the steps because based on what he went through, this is speculation, but I'll show you why I speculate, I think, with confidence that this is Paul's life. I don't think he could have made it up the stairs, at least not comfortably. That's Paul. And Paul says that God is to be blessed, that God is to be praised. And that in spite of all that, somehow God remains the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, and here's why. He is the one who comforts us in all our affliction. 
So the first reason to praise God when the pressure is on is because God is the one who comforts us in all of our troubles. You can receive comfort from God, and that is such an important concept because if you look for comfort in the change of your circumstances, who knows how long you'll be waiting. You ever checked your email rather compulsively, hoping that the email will come that'll tell you it's over? It's all going to be okay now? Better in those situations not to depend upon people, better in those situations to draw near to God. Fifteen years ago, my family and I thought we were going to a very different place. It's just by God's providence and through the suffering of another missionary that actually we ended up returning here. But when my partner was arrested, I called his very godly father-in-law and said, what's happening is terrible. How are you? He said, this is a wonderful time to turn to God, which is all I tried to tell you last Sunday. Here, Paul's telling you how he did it. In all of his troubles, in all of his trials, he is experiencing God as the the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort because he has come to realize this. It is God who comforts us in all our affliction. It's God who does that. And by the way, would you like to see Paul's suffering credentials? You want to feel better about your own situation? Because misery loves company, and sometimes when you're really on the anvil, it's good to look at somebody else who's had it even worse. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, please. Toward the end of the letter, Paul saying, I'm acting like a madman, is defending his credentials. They've basically shamed him into it. These people, including the Corinthians, who have started to believe this, that Paul is a phony. Paul's going to do now something he did not want to do. He's going to tell them what his life has been and what it has meant as a genuine Christian and apostle of Christ. Pick it up in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. In other words, I didn't want to talk like this. This is crazy talk. They've shamed me into it. But here's his suffering credentials in case you think Paul's kind of a Hallmark card writer who has no real experience with trouble. And if Paul could hear your story, he would cry himself and tell you in agreement with you that there's no hope, okay? Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. In other words, five beatings of 39 lashes each. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's when they left him for dead under that pile of rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked, and that astonishes me. Have you ever known anybody who was shipwrecked? You imagine going through it three separate times? What's the reaction the third time? Are you kidding me? Again? Granted, it's the first century, but it seems unlikely even then to be shipwrecked three times.
three times. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day, a night, and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Do you think he's qualified to teach you about suffering? We couldn't put that resume together between us. Everybody who's come to church this weekend, everybody who's ever come to this church together, we could not put that resume together. And how is it that, God, that Paul experiences God? He experiences Him as the God of all comfort. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because I don't want you to miss a major idea in verse 4. It is God, Paul says, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You tell me. Pressure can come for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes you've talked yourself into it. Sometimes you've sinned your way into it. Other times it is because of the cruelty and sinfulness of other people. Other times it's just because you live in a wrecked, sin-wrecked world. But pressure, trial, trouble, suffering is coming. Paul says, I praise God anyway because God, I know from my long experience, God is the one who comforts me in all of my troubles. When I am alone, when I am half dead, when I am shipwrecked and hungry and exposed to death, I have discovered something fantastic, that it is God Himself, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort, who comes to me and comforts me in all of my problems. But then he says, so that, and what is the purpose of God comforting you? That was not very enthusiastic. <laughs> We're just reading the Bible together. Verse 4, the purpose of me receiving comfort is this, God who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to do what? to comfort those who are in any affliction. The purpose for our comfort is so that we will comfort others. And that's so important. What Paul's going to talk about here is not only the availability of comfort for him, that's great, but a higher, better, deeper, holier step than that is to understand why God has directed pressure into your life for the good of others. Never will you be more like Christ when you are suffering and thinking of the benefit it will have for someone else. And that shows a great deal of maturity and a great deal of godliness. Because I don't know about you, my first thought when I'm in trouble is getting out of it, getting out from under it. Not often do we have the presence of mind to say, I'm really getting pushed here. This will be good for my children.
Many parents and grandparents, I'm afraid, teach their children not to trust God when trouble comes because they rant and rave and scream and cry at pressure and trouble and trial when it comes as if it had no reason and was completely unjust and unexpected. You do that, you'll ruin the people who are looking to you. I'm not saying it's easy. I wrote this sermon and then two days ago, had to quickly apologize to a family member for an unkind word I spoke just because I was under pressure myself. But in that moment, it's not this, I'm sorry I said that, it's just that. Did you ever get that apology? It's not an apology, that's an explanation. You should know better. Do you see the trouble I'm in, pressure I'm under? Paul's going through all this, not in a Pollyanna, everything's great. He's used words like affliction. He gives you his resume at the end of the letter. It's as if he gets to the end of the letter and he shrugs his shoulders and says, fine, I'm just going to tell them. I'm going to tell them why I know my faith is real. I'm going to tell them why I praise God in the midst of troubles. But if you can keep your eye not only on relief, but on growth through pressure, you'll be better for it, and so will everyone else around you. They will be benefited and blessed so much by seeing you draw near to God, not scream against circumstances, but draw near to God so that you can receive comfort from God, which you will then pass on to them. What Paul's telling us here is not only that the purpose is for us to comfort others, but that we should make sure that pressure pushes us together rather than pulls us apart. That's the way it always is. Look at the end of the paragraph, please. Verse 10. Paul said, speaking of God, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and I'll explain that in a minute. In verse 10, Paul's saying, we were in so much trouble that we thought we would die. But then God stepped in and He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Don't miss verse 11. You also must help us by prayer. Did you get that? Paul's trying to pull them together. He's saying, don't stand back and watch me get hammered. This isn't a suffering circus put on for your benefit. When you see that we're in trial, when we're in trouble, what it should prompt you to do is pray for us, verse 11, so you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That's a complicated sentence. Here's what it means. Paul says, God stepped in at the last possible moment and saved us. We have confidence that he'll keep doing it. But what you should do is pray for us. So that when other people receive our ministry, see us continue 
see that we are close to Christ, that we continue with the gospel. All kinds of people will turn to God and praise God for the things He did for us. What happens in a family? Pressure comes and people are splintered apart. The pressure, rather than push them together, pulls them apart. And it's a fatal mistake. Same thing happens in churches. Churches are families of faith. We will go through trouble together. We already have. I've been here 15 years. I could tell you stories. Maybe from the safety of retirement, I'll write a book. Okay? <laughs> my early years here, I went to the doctor because a square inch of hair had fallen out of my head. And I thought something is growing on my skull, and this is the end, right? This is it. Here it goes. So young and charming. It's a shame. It's going to die of <laughs> head fungus. And the doctors, I don't know, I don't know how they teach this in medical school, but it just feels so comforting to have that guy's hands on my skull. And he's looking through and he says, you stressed? Yes. That's all this is. Okay, good. What do I do? Chill out. There it is, doctor's orders, chill out, okay? <laughs> Churches go through it, pastors do too, church families do, friendships do, marriages do. And the natural, sinful, common reaction is for the pressure not to bring people together, but to push them apart. Godly pastor friend of mine years and years ago, thankfully it's over now, his precious firstborn daughter had a very, very dangerous cancer in one of the most delicate places inside her brain. And after laying out the news, the doctor took my friend and his wife aside and gave them marriage counsel. And my pastor friend, sensitive, of course, to relational and marriage things, he said, why, why are you talking to us about this? He said, because most of my patients that go through this sort of thing end up divorcing regardless of what happens with their child. Now, why is that? Because pressure pulls people apart. But Paul's got the divine angle on it. Paul seeing pressure, trial, trouble, suffering from God's perspective and Paul says, I'm praising God and you should praise God with me because God is the one who comforts us all in our troubles and the reason he has done so is so that we will be able to comfort anybody else with anything that happens to them. Go back up to verse 4. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul's talking about himself now, his apostolic ministry. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, and what he means is not that he's adding to the suffering of Jesus on the cross, but every time Paul goes out with the gospel, he gets punched for it. He's suffering for Jesus. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Did you catch that? 
If you suffer for Jesus, you'll be comforted by Jesus. Did you hear that? What do most Christians want to do at all costs? Avoid any kind of suffering, including suffering for the name of Christ. And if you do that, the gospel will go no further, and you'll never experience the comfort of Christ that he offers to those who put themselves out there on his behalf. There's a reason. Sometimes we have guests, missionary guests in particular, leaders of very special, risky, dangerous kinds of ministries, and people walk away saying, wow, I could never. And you're wrong when you say that. They've experienced Jesus on another level with another depth because they've taken an obedient step to expose themselves to risk and discomfort for His sake. And anybody who risks and spends and sacrifices and hurts for Jesus will be comforted by and through Jesus. That's what Paul's experiencing here. And no one in heaven has ever said it wasn't worth it. No one has ever given so much money that they got to heaven and said, I I wasted that. No one has ever exposed themselves to rejection, to hardship, to leaving things behind that they could have enjoyed, but for the sake of Jesus, they served Him. And I'm not talking about going overseas. I'm talking about hard conversations across the family table. I'm talking about making yourself publicly a Christian, explaining to people the center of your life, which is Christ, which so many Christians are so reluctant to do because it will cost them, and they know it. Please listen to Paul. As we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, so you will also share in our comfort. That's why this Christmas missionary offering every year matters so much. We're asking you specifically to put Jesus on the Christmas list and dig deep and give to the point where you might miss it or have to make a different decision for yourself so that we can send it to some of the most courageous people who risk it for Jesus every single day. When you do that, when you experience that discomfort of supporting them, you'll experience the blessings and the comfort of Christ that that Jesus has promised to those who risk and suffer for Him. Paul's got credentials for it. Paul's not only talking, in other words, about making a life that is better and more comfortable. That message has been done to death. That message, frankly, is not very biblical. It's three easy steps of talks with Jesus to have the amazing life you've always wanted. Did chapter 11 sound like anything Paul ever would have wanted? You think that Pharisee talking to Jesus for the first time, saying, what do you want me to do, Lord, said, I can't wait to get shipwrecked. I'm so excited both Jews and Gentiles are going to turn on me. By the way, if both Jews and Gentiles are after you, who's left? That's pretty much it, right? 
False brothers, betrayals, wilderness or city, he can't catch a break. The pressure's always on. But Paul says the reason we praise God is because we have come to understand that God comforts us in all of those troubles. He does so so that we will be able to comfort other people. And what I want from you, Corinthians, and what I would say in Paul's place, 2,000 years later, as a very poor successor of gospel preachers, we should come together and see suffering together and suffering individually as a motive to pray for one another so that we all get closer to God. And there's something else, and then I'm done, and this is the most radical part of the whole paragraph. Look in verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. And that's a Roman province, not Asia as in China and related nearby countries. Modern-day Turkey is what Paul's talking about. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's a very literary way of saying things got so bad we thought we were dead. Ever had the experience? Sobering, isn't it? Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible... Let me recommend it. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who does what? Raises the dead. People say all the time, God will never give you more than you can handle. Nonsense. I just read it to you. Paul said we were pushed beyond our limit. We thought we were dead. Not only did we despair of life, we felt like we had been handed a death sentence. In other words, something so certain as a state-sponsored judicial execution is coming. There's no getting out of this one. And we don't know what happened to Paul, but imagine what it must have been like if he had already been through everything he described in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Wow. I don't know if Paul had a moment, a life flash before your eyes moment, as some people do when death is that close. But Paul says, not we gave up, but we thought this is it. This will be the end of us. This will be the end of me. But then he said, here's the big part. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Trial and trouble can and should make you stronger. It should draw you closer to God. It should teach you to be like Jesus so that you can turn to other people and comfort them with the same comfort that God gave you. But the second reason Paul has for praising God in trouble is, number two, God teaches us to trust Him instead of ourselves. If God only gives you things you can handle, guess who you learn to trust? 
yourself. How many times, if I'm honest, have I gone through trouble successfully and at the end of it thought to myself, you know, I'm getting pretty good at this. Wrong lesson. That's pride. That's self-sufficiency. And Jesus is not trying to develop self-sufficient Christians. Jesus is trying to develop Christ-sufficient Christians. That's why we're called, guess what? Christians. We wear His name. We follow Him. We trust Him. What a beautiful turn of phrase. Paul said, we thought we were dead, but that was to teach us to trust God who can do something miraculous that only God can do. God is the one who can raise the dead just as He raised Christ. And the resurrection gives perspective on all of this. If God can raise the dead, why do you think your trouble is so extraordinary and beyond His reach? Your trouble is beyond your reach. And that's the point. The crucial question in these situations is, when you're in trouble and it gets beyond your grasp and your ability, are you going to double down and try harder, or are you going to turn and trust God? Have you done both? I don't want to be diagnostic about anybody's troubles, not even my own, but just consider this. Could it be that one of the reasons God keeps directing pressure into your life is because you still haven't learned to trust Him? All you've learned instead is to figure it out. God wants Christ-sufficient Christians. He wants people who trust Him, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, the God who even raises the dead. He's not trying to make autonomous, strong little kids who do whatever they want. He wants devoted, loving, loyal, courageous, resilient, long-suffering, patient, loving, joyful, self-controlled children that knows that so long as they follow Jesus, they will always have the comfort of Jesus, and it doesn't matter what the world puts them through or what they risk for the sake of Christ, they will always have His comfort, which will make them in turn be able to comfort anybody else in every kind of trouble because their sufficiency, as Paul says elsewhere in this letter, comes not from themselves, but from God, who raises the dead. It's amazing. And I'm telling you all this, and I'm through, because what normally happens in Christian circles is Christians go through trouble just the same way anybody else does, just with occasional prayer. But ultimately, we're all looking back at ourselves, asking ourselves, can I handle it? Paul just told you, we got to the point where we couldn't. And the reason God dragged us through that is that we would learn to trust Him. Because, say this together with me, please. God will never give you more than He can handle. That's very different. So when you can't handle it and you say to God, I can't take one more minute, he says, I know, but I can. See, the focus has been on the wrong person, on what I can do. Does that 
exclude you from responsibility? Of course not. It just excludes you from the issue of sufficiency. You can't, he can. That's why Paul told another church from prison, he wrote them a letter saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And by the way, he was talking about the same kind of suffering, including going hungry, living on the edge of starvation. I've learned to be content in those situations, Paul said, not because I've gotten really good at fasting, but because Christ comes to me and strengthens me. God will never give you more than He can handle. So please, when the pressure comes, and it will, just remember its purpose and praise Him. Let's pray. Here's a moment to turn to God with all of you and all of your troubles and entrust yourself to Him. going to give you a little space to do that now. You know the pressures and the trials. Just turn them over to God. Ask Him to teach you to trust Him and to act like His child through the trial. Have you turned it over to Him? Can you tell Him in this moment that you trust Him? Do you know Christ as Savior? Everything I've told you is only true for those who trust Jesus, no one else. No one else can have God's comfort except His own children, those who have turned from their sin and turned to Christ. If you don't know Him and you've been hearing this message week after week after week here or somewhere else, you've heard it all your life, but you've never given up on yourself and entrusted yourself to Jesus, my invitation is to do that right now. Turn yourself in as a sinner. Ask Him to be your Savior. And that we may pray together. If you need prayer, if you would like prayer, use the card in the bulletin. Let us know with your name or anonymously. It doesn't matter. We'll pray for you regardless. Let us know how we may pray for you so that we can rejoice together in God's deliverance. Father, this weekend a lot of people will come here and there will be trials and stories and troubles too numerous really for anyone to know or understand. Thank you that in all of that, you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We turn to you and entrust ourselves to you that we may experience the comfort of your Son, Jesus Christ, and know you even if we consider ourselves as good as dead as the God who raises the dead. Help us to learn from you. Help us to learn to trust you and love you and do as we should, regardless of the pressure. Take glory, get the credit, Lord, from everything we do in obedience to you. And thank you for comforting us in all of our troubles. In Jesus' name we pray and Crosspoint said.
Amen. God bless you.